Welcome back to Best Hour of Their Day. Fern and I are live in Madison, Wisconsin. We have to figure out, because we're not As live. I, was I just like to say live, because it makes me feel important, although we are never live. Um, but yeah, we're in, we are in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, we just did another podcast right before this, and we're going to do this one. But um, we just finished day three of the CrossFit Games, so... Today is Saturday evening. Tomorrow is Sunday. Currently, Noah Olson is the leader. Yes, yeah, spoiler Frasier, alert. So. We don't know. Yeah, we right don't know. <laughs> but so this is, what did we say, Saturday? So if you listen to this, in the future, you will know before we know now who the winner of the CrossFit that's, Games was. That's tri- trippy. You yeah, blew right. my mind. Yeah, Because yeah. this will come out Wednesday. Yeah. So this will be Wednesday's episode. Yeah. So everyone knows who won the CrossFit Games at this point. Who's your prediction right now? Dude, I don't know. I, it, it's close, and I love it, right? So all these people complaining about the cuts and everything, like, it makes the games more exciting. Absolutely. I was talking to the guy in the in the hotel gym, Fern, and I did a quick little workout, and he was saying people were complaining about the cuts. And I said, you know, in the past— Just put about an inch away from your mouth. Easy. People have no reference for what you're talking about there. Yeah, yeah. Dodge. Dodge is going to say. <laughs> Jay's not used to it. Being just in just way. It's usually a listen, for every, listen, for everybody who thinks that I make fun of Jay a lot, you are in for a treat. <laughs> so, so let me finish my statement here. So the guy, I was like, you at the old games, you know, before they made these cuts, no one cared about the first two heats of any event. Yeah, now every heat is a barn burner. And they just ran an event that the clean that they could not have run with more athletes. It would have or, taken five hours. Yeah, it would have been all right. day. So let's. You want to go ahead and introduce Todd? Yeah. So we will. So we have it with us today on the, this, and we like to do this live when we can. So Todd is also judging with us uh, at the CrossFit Games. Todd Okudo. Been on seminar staff for seven years. Is that right? Yeah, Something seven like years. Yep. Yeah, seven years. He is a flow master. Um, has owned two affiliates in the past. Sold one. Is back down to one. Drive Fitness down in St. Augustine, Florida. Um, an incredible coach. Has multiple articles published in the journal. We'll he talk about some incredible of today. liberally. Uh, I mean, you like to call everybody else incredible. So we'll give Todd the same. We'll give Todd the same. You use it so much that it doesn't even mean anything. <laughs> Dime a dozen. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but yeah. So Todd is. Uh, you know, Jay and Todd and I actually work together pretty regularly because those two guys are in Florida. I'm in Virginia, so we kind of have the same region. Todd's also a flow master. Yeah, I said that. Pay attention. I don't think did he say that? Yeah, definitely. Wrote, did you say he wrote articles for the journal? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. So uh, feel free to tune in at any point now, Jay. Yeah, yeah. I'll All start right. now. Right. Um, Todd, Fern had Austin and Denise on a recent episode. Yep. And a lot of the questions that spawned from that interview had to do with Austin's long-winded, but it educational. Was, it was a good response. Statement about mobility. So the, I'll give you context. The question was... What do I do with athletes that struggle with mobility, right? So I'm doing the warm-up. Let's use front squat because it's just easy, you know. And they can't – they don't have a great front rack. What do I do? Do I put mobility in my lesson plan? Like how do I start to address this in a class setting, right? So what would be your answer to that? I don't want to say it's not a thing because it is a thing, but more often than not, it's the position that you're in. So either the grip that you have on the bar – or the stance that you have with your feet and the effort that you put into the movement itself. Um, if you have those things right, most people can do things pretty well. 
um, or at least be moving in the right direction to improve that that position or that mobility issue. I, I've had the same thing come up at a number of seminars recently where people are like, no, 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 it's a mobility issue. And I'm like, well, let's take a look and give a cue or adjust their position. And all of a sudden, it's no longer a mobility issue. It's just an effort issue or a position issue. Well, and for the record, we get asked mobility questions at the level one almost every weekend, especially during the squat portion where we're talking about the, the, the air squat, the front squat, the overhead squat. And then, of course, while we're doing it, people rely on that as an excuse. And the other place, maybe this, give me your most entertaining story at a level two where someone was watching the coaching and then was like, it's mobility. I can't help them. I've seen people diagnose somebody with a mobility issue within f- two seconds of a person putting a PVC pipe on their shoulder. They say it every time. Well, it's a PVC pipe, so it's a mobility issue. Right. So my so your answer was correct, and went, but <laughs> but not that Austin's wasn't. But I, I your answer was a little bit more to the point, and but I think there that's twofold, right? So I think there's when you said effort. There's two, there's two variables with regard to that effort. So there's, A, the effort of the athlete, but my contention yeah. was that the vast majority of coaches are not putting enough effort into making that athlete work hard enough, right? So they're just really quick to punt instead of asking them to drive their elbows up a little bit more and just assuming that the athlete can't get there because they don't want to make them try hard with a PVC pipe. Right. It's what CrossFit would refer to as being relentless. Correct. Coaches just... <laughs> coaches just arm or do you think they're not relentless they don't know what to do or they're scared i think it's all three well there's a piece where like we're all athletes too right and how comfortable is it grabbing the pvc pipe nearly choking yourself with it and driving your elbows up how fun is that for you to do personally well i hate it it sucks right and so then when you're in a coach it's really easy to relate to the athlete themselves oh, I and feel put bad. yourself in their f- footsteps and you're like i don't want to drive my elbows up when i'm in class so i'm not going to do you know i i'm not going to ask for more from you so there's also the empathy piece where it's like i've got to demand enough from you to get the effort that i need to make the change in your movement or get you in the position that i need but i need to do it at a pace to where it's like two reps and then i give you a break because if i try to d- have you do it for five reps it's going to be too much and you're not going to be able to stick with me or or stick it out so there's like i need to be relentless enough to get you in the position that i need but i have to have enough empathy to give you the adequate rest or breaks so you can continue to give me that same effort so this is something i I try to express and i'm not even sure that i do a good job of expressing it but probably not probably not but the one of the things when you coach enough athletes you have to start to develop this kind of awareness of knowing what you're going to get and what you're not going to get. Meaning like, I'm going to get that athlete to move a little bit better, but I'm not going to get them to move perfectly. And I think that's where people get hung up. They're like, well, I can't make it perfect. So I'll just, I'll just, I'll just settle for shitty. Correct. Right. Right. Well, that's what coach Glassman says. Don't let your eyes get used to shitty movement. Yeah. And that's really, no one's moving shitty. Like they're going to hurt themselves, but he's just basically saying, can you make them better? Don't allow yourself to be like, that's Susie. She never gets her elbows up. But what you said, Todd, really was assuming someone's working more so one-on-one. What are some techniques and things coaches can do in a, in a group class to help people get in better positions other than just coaching? But if you see someone like Susie in the corner and you know she needs that relentless piece... How do you address that while still running your class? 
I don't think it's any different from a one-on-one environment to a group environment. I think one of the biggest things that I see done wrong right off the bat are coaches aren't uh, either relentless enough or aware enough for the stance and the grip on the bar to get somebody set up for success. So if you get their stance and grip correct and then you've got their static position, um, so their setup position where it needs to be, nine times out of ten, that's going to put them in a good position to begin with. Then from there, it's going to be continuing coaching them. I'm not going to take Susie off to the side and ask her to do something different in a class setting. Um, and also the reality of it is, is you might get, show or give a couple stretches that maybe the whole group does or that you can tell her to do as homework. But you tell me this, Fern, how, how much homework do you do as far as like stretching and mobility? I can barely get them to work out earlier. That's what I'm talking about. And we're way more motivated. We spend more time in the gym than any of our members do. And if we're not willing to do that homework, we can't expect anybody else to do it. So yeah, I can tell you all the drills that you need to do, but the reality of it is, is most people aren't going to do it. So if I have you for 60 minutes, then I better put you in the right positions. I I better get the effort that I need from you to make the improvements that are going to be required. And you also know that like I said, it's an effort thing and a position thing, but there are people that have flexibility or mobility problems, but it's not going to be solved in a day. But over time, by having them continue to work on that position, there's going to be changes in their movement. And I'll see it like month over month or year over year. Like there's a lot of athletes that I have that I've had at my gym for a number of years. And some of the things I'm most proud of is the position that they're able to get into now. And it hasn't been because they've gone home and done extra stretching. It's because of me continue to coaching to, to coach them and remind them where their feet go, where their hands go, to squeeze their belly and pull the bar back and do that kind of stuff. So I wanted to go back to what you said earlier, which is, you know, and, and, and I'm going to ask you this because I know you can answer it, but give an example of how somebody would kind of not set somebody up for success, right? So you talked about making sure that you check hands and feet and then give an example of something that you see on a pretty regular basis where somebody, a coach may have shot themselves in the foot, right? Where they're trying to get somebody in a good position and they can't simply because they're not in a position to do so. I don't know if I'm necessarily tracking with the, uh, with the question that you have, but I, I see a lot of people that <clears throat> don't set them up for success by <laughs> not, by not putting them in the position <laughs> that they need them to be in. So a lot of times I'll hear a coach ask a question around, all right, does that foot position feel comfortable to you? And when somebody says, yeah, or no, or whatever it is, it's, that's irrelevant. Like you as an athlete don't have the knowledge that I do as a coach. So if I look at you and you're not hitting the points of performance, you're not in the right position. And I tell you, you need to widen your feet. Even if that feels uncomfortable, of course, it's going to feel uncomfortable because it's a new position. But if the new position is going to set you up for success, that's something that I need to do. So I see a lot of coaches that will default to what the athlete wants to do. So for instance, like an athlete like has their feet underneath their hips for a squat and they're like, well, this is just where I like to have my feet. If I go any wider, I don't, it feels uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's like, of course it does because you've never done it that way, but you don't move very well. And that's not where your feet go. So you, you rely a lot on stance, not rely on it's not the right word, but you use stance and grip a lot. We've talked about it, you know, in after a seminar before, what are some things coaches should be looking for because you know they leave the level one they're like shoulder width hip width so what are some other things coaches should be looking for to determine could they improve their stance and grip which would ultimately improve their movement pattern i think there's just a, a lot of experimentation as a newer coach playing with stuff 
try different things out. Do it also for you as an athlete. Like I've done it all. I've tried the narrow stance squat. I've tried the wide stance squat. I've tried toes forward. I've tried toes out. And I see how that affects my movement. And a lot of those things dictate the way that I coach other people. Um, And so I try a lot of different things. If I look at somebody moving and they're not moving well, then I try something. Hey, widen your feet. If they move worse... I'm not afraid to say, never mind, take them back in. Um, If it makes them move better, then maybe we stick with that thing. So I think, especially a newer coach, figure out what works for you. Be relentless and understand your own movement. um, And then try a lot of things and see as many different athletes as you can. That's something that I see on a very regular basis is that coaches are hesitant to make a change because they're not certain it will work, right? Which is what you just addressed. Like, you, you, I don't know that you're ever going to know that. You'll have a pretty good idea after you do it a thousand times. You're like, mm, if I widen that up, I'm pretty sure that's going to get better. But you still don't know. Well, and also and other indicators the athlete's giving you. So, for example, someone that really struggles to push their knees out, you probably wouldn't go to, hey, widen your feet if we already know they struggle. You know, that might not always be true, but someone there or someone is a little tight in their upper body, you might not take their hand more narrow but, on an overhead. So, for instance, movement. for somebody who, t- who struggles wide pushing their knees out, I may not widen their stance. Might you know, per se, I might, no, I'm actually, I might actually go to a slightly straighter foot because I know it's yeah. harder from a biomechanical standpoint for that valgus knee to happen with a straight foot. Now, I don't necessarily... To a degree. There's right. degrees to right. all of and this stuff. Really so that's my point. But the point is experimentation, right? So, like, yeah. I, I know roughly what I should see in, in most instances, but I don't know. So from a coaching standpoint, you know, one of the things I would harp to people all the time at the level two, and I'm like, listen, I'm like, you know what happens when you give a cue that doesn't work? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing happens, right? So just put it out there and see what happens. Like throw some spaghetti at the wall and see if it sticks. Which brings us to the next point. So Todd, you have written multiple articles and been featured in the journal uh, for some different stuff, uh, but written several articles on coach development. Yep. Um, I don't remember what the title of those were, though, to be honest with you. Uh, I think I there's some around teaching, some around seeing, something like teach them how to teach. Um, and it just takes different drills through the different different drills that focus on the six criteria that we cover in the, uh, the level two course. Um, so drills around teaching, drills around seeing, correcting that. Kind of so stuff. let's talk about teaching. What are some of the what are some of the big ticket items? If you're if you were going to start a coach from scratch and be like, these are the two or three things that it, you need to do well to teach effectively. What would they be? Well, step number one, in my opinion, is you've got to have the the knowledge and the information to begin with. So before any coach has the opportunity to do any coaching at, at my affiliates. Um, they have to know the points of performance and teaching progressions for the nine foundational movements. And you've got to know them like the back of your hand. No uh, different than if you're interning for seminar staff. Well, that's progressions, right? But oh, we don't, sorry, we don't take, yeah, we don't take Jay, interns and ask them the points of performance. Cause if that was the case, you probably, you would, you, you would, you would get fired. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, if that was the case now, you, you wouldn't be on the team. Be the anymore. progressions hand, uh, feet underneath your hips. Feet <laughs> Go the slower. Hips. Do that slower. <laughs> um, okay. A, so you make sure to, which is knowing the points of performance is significantly harder than the progression. So you require that from your staff. Yeah. If, if someone can't tell me that you need a, a neutral spine, they're weight in their heels, their knees over their toes, uh, the hip going back and down and the hip crease below the knee with the squat, like in, you know, five different ways, forward and backwards with their eyes closed 
or not, then they're not ready to go out and coach somebody. Because if you're spending resources as a coach trying to remember what you need to teach or what you need to look for, you're not going to be able to effectively actually see or do any of those things. So you have to have the knowledge before you can actually teach it. The reason I ask you that is because there is, I'm 100% certain we have many coaches and even box owners listening to this episode that couldn't tell us the other eight movements point to performance. So that's the type of standard. Of the nine foundation that you're talking about. Yeah, so Todd just gave us the air squat, you know, heels, knees, depth, arch, line of action. Todd gave us that. But we, you know, the other eight movements, if you're listening, check yourself right now. Sumo della Taipo, what are the points of performance? You don't know. That's, that's, that's impressive that you hold your box to that standard. Because I don't think... And, well, you know, and, and obviously for context, like we have to know them. Like We teach it every weekend. But however, it's not an astronomical amount of information that you can't know within a week, to be honest with you. No, it's, it's memorization, right? You memorize it. Yeah. And you know that stuff. And the reality of it is, is the reason the nine foundational movements are the nine foundational movements are because of those common themes that are contained within them. So if you know the points of performance and how they're displayed with those nine movements, then you can take them and apply them to any other movement that you'll ever teach in the gym or outside of that. So it sets you up for success by knowing those nine and having that base level of knowledge um, then is going to allow you to actually start the process of teaching. Well, in this day and age, I mean, Todd, Fern, and I all learned from the CrossFit Journal and from our level one. There weren't videos on YouTube of Todd demonstrating the foundational movements. It's not Todd. But it looks like Todd. It's James Hobart. <laughs> but there, there, there are you know there were videos that have the you know the words right in the video, and it's just like Todd said, memorization. And I tell people every weekend at a level two, how can I expect you to see and correct if you don't even know where to look, and you know where to look by learning the points of performance? What else? What was the other article about? Uh, similar things are, are around seeing so that the articles just list different drills. So back to the teaching one. The yeah. So let's, let's go through some of them if you like, because these are the things that I think a lot of coaches want to know. Yeah. Coaches who are not actually going to get in the journal, but we'll listen to this podcast. <laughs> uh, I think some of the other drills in the teaching one is around, um, your ability to teach, um, through different 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 ways so your ability to verbally communicate your ability to visually show um, how to teach or how to do something so we've done drills at our gym where uh, we have one coach teaching a movement and you have three athletes one of them can both see and hear one of them has a blindfold on so they can't see you one of them have headphones on so they can't hear you and they've got to all be able to respond to the way that you're teaching so you've got to be pretty articulate with the uh, the language that you're using when you're speaking you've got to be You've got to move well enough to where you can demonstrate the movement and give just enough movement for the person that can only see you and not hear you to be able to follow along. Uh, I've seen you do that at a level two for somebody who is a little bit wordy when they're trying to coach and and they're doing everything at the same time. And, you know, if you're not going to blindfold people, simply just take the coach, have them stand behind the athlete so that the athlete's facing away and then see if what you're saying still makes sense to the athlete. If they can respond to what you're saying, it makes sense, but the vast majority of the time it doesn't work. Right. Um, some other things that we've done is uh, taking simple items and try to uh, allow people to teach those. So I'll make a list of like how to tie a tie or how to 
fold a t-shirt or different do different things. I don't things. know how to do either, so I'm out. Yeah, because your mom comes over to your house and does all that stuff along with your grocery shopping. That's why your fridge will be full when you get home from this oh, week. Oh, I can't wait, mom. Thank you. <laughs> Golly. The only person that has to book a flight to Madison <laughs> that she comes and stocks his hotel room while he's out. Uh, still, I out can't of the wait games. to have dinner either. Um, but anyways, you can you should be able to you know draw one of those from a hat. Take three or four minutes and figure out a simple progression on how to teach one of those simple tasks. And if you can't do that in a way that somebody can follow along, then you're obviously not going to be able to teach a, I saw clean a jerk. S- I saw a super interesting version of that, and, and it was basically about creating processes. But it was called how to make toast. And and in the video, I'm pretty sure there's a YouTube video. If you just you Google how to make toast, but they. You would think making toast was a fairly simple, which it is, right? Fairly simple process. But if you outline everything that has to happen in order for you to make toast. Then From like s- buying a toaster? Uh, no, let's say, let's say you have okay. everything. But if, for instance, like I have to go to the refrigerator, right? I have to open the refrigerator door. I have to take the toast out of the bag. The refrigerator door needs to be closed. I now have to unwrap the bag with whatever that is. And it walks through step by step. And when you look at that seemingly simple task... There's now a pretty substantial list associated with making toast. And if you can do that with your nine foundational movements, what you can do is you can unwrap those in your brain and then you can simplify them. I can take this one out because I don't need to talk about it, but I do understand it from a coaching standpoint. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. I think both of those drills. Is there a third one? Um, I'm trying to, trying to remember what I've got. I know we went through... The memorization, right? We'll see. So have yeah, just learning the points of performance, and I'm, that's just the tip of the iceberg. But yep. basically, having a strong you have to start there knowledge base. Then having these drills where certain athletes can see, certain athletes can't hear, and then lastly, uh, teaching different things is one uh, of the other ones. Th- yep. Yeah, and it, it, we've also had coaches um, create their own progressions for more complex movements. So spend some time and think about how to break down a complex movement. And if it's not one of the nine foundational movements that have progressions that the level one manual um, teaches or gives and that we use in our gym, create one for yourself. And then we're going to go and try it out and see how it actually plays. And then do you guys give feedback on that? You're like, hey, this was garbage or this was fantastic? Yeah, then the, the question behind it is the why. All right, so you did this. Well, what was the point of that? Oh, I don't know. You know, if there's, if there's not a why behind it... Um, or it's not effective, then maybe we take it or leave it. But just, I think, thinking critically, having having a coach think critically about how to break down a movement and then to try that out and see if that actually works on the floor with an athlete um, is, once again, going to give them the ability. Sooner or later, there's going to be a new movement that shows up in the open or a new movement that shows up in a workout that you've may, maybe never taught before, um, and you have to have the ability to to figure out how to teach that thing. And it's got to go beyond like, hey, this is what the movement looks like. You try it. Like that's not teaching anything. You've got to figure out how to break it down and and use a progression to do that. And I think the more practice you have that with that on different movements or different things, the better you're going to be there. Do you have any good seeing drills that you do at your gym? Yeah, we'll do some, some different things as far as number one, we've talked about a lot already is the stance and grip is huge. So uh, drills where we'll get a group of athletes set up and all we're going to do is look across the room and say what athletes feet need to move, which athletes hands need to move or which athletes have the, the right foot or hand position. So you restrict the coach to only those two things. Yeah. Yep. So I think if you've got athletes in good static positions, so if they know how to set up and they know what their finished position is, or you can put them there, 
there's only really there's not very many big things that can go wrong in the dynamic phase of the movement. Like you're going to set somebody up for success, and yeah, they might lack hip, hip extension slightly or something like that. But man, I find that if your your static positions are on uh, uh, um, are kind of zoned in, you're going to be in in good shape. Um, we've done different things where we'll just go to like Instagram or YouTube and we'll pick a movement and then we'll just search that movement and then we'll start looking at it and look for points of performance. So if you go to like, hey, I struggle seeing hip extension in the snatch. If you go onto Instagram and you search a hashtag of snatch. That might not be the best example. Clean and jerk, CrossFit. whatever you want to call it. <laughs> CrossFit snatch. Um, you're going to see such a wide variety of athletes. You're going to see some of the world's best, and you're going to see some beginner athletes. Um, and if you're struggling to see hip extension, then we're going to look at those videos specifically and see if you can identify whether the athlete's open in their hip or not. And you're going to be able to um, see a much greater range as far as athletes are concerned and be able to expose yourself to more movement than you would inside the walls of your gym. If you only coach the snatch, you know, once every two weeks, you only have 50 members that you see or 100 members or whatever it is, you're going to be limited where you can go on to one of those resources and you can see hundreds upon hundreds and you can do it on a daily basis. So if there's a movement that you struggle to see or a point of performance that you struggle to see, you can get a lot more reps by going on there and doing that. I think what's important to, to kind of spotlight and what you were just talking about with restricting what they can look at is at some point as a coach, your focus needs to be on visual discipline. Meaning, if I'm watching 15 people do a clean and jerk and I'm trying to see everything at once, I'm not going to see anything. So, you know, one of the, one of the things that I'll, I'll, it's kind of entertaining for me is like watching a coach coach or try to evaluate a group of movers and their eyeballs look like ping pong balls, like bouncing around in their head. And I'm like, I'm not even looking at the group. I'm merely looking at your eyeballs and I can tell you right now you can't see anything because you've not seen anything because your eyeballs are moving so fast that it couldn't possibly see anything. So I think restricting movement or putting boundaries on like what things people can coach and look at is a really effective way to start developing visual discipline and understand and be like, listen, you only need to look at the feet, like get to the other stuff later, look at the feet and only the feet for now and then look at the hands and only the hands for right now. Forget everything else because I mean, we've all seen it. That is incredibly difficult for a new coach. Like they, they're just overwhelmed with the amount of things that are happening. And like, if you can just get somebody to have that visual discipline, it's so much easier to see when you're just like, Hey, what do you see on Jay's feet? And they're like, Oh, his heels are up. And I'm like, cool. You know why you can see that? Cause you're looking at his feet. And no different than coaching a busy class with a complex lift again, clean and jerk. Like Todd said, spend this class and make the only dynamic fault you look for hip extension or or pick another one but it'll open your eyes to what you can see when you're actually looking in the right places all right anything else to ask todd i mean there's so much to ask yeah todd. but this is a this but is I'm, a this is a <laughs> well, well get, go and ask him whatever you want jay no 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 i don't want to get you know this is a clean podcast and <laughs> is it a clean podcast <laughs> it's a clean podcast what what cue would you have given Amanda Barnhart on that clean after guessing that she would potentially get the, the highest weight? Yeah, how do you feel about being a loser about that, by the way, Todd? <laughs> and in fairness, to defend Todd, we, have, we don't 
care who wins. No. So I don't want to think he has an influence. We're joking. We're joking because yeah. we were all we're we were all discussing who we thought we were going to yeah, win. We weren't influencing their. You know, it was either. There's no betting going on. Was, none of us were judging, to be quite honest, <laughs> at that point. That's true. But, actually, none of us were judging. All I got to say was it was really impressive. Both events. Both all the men, yes. all the men and women men out there. Men and women were very impressive. And very impressive. Uh, I thought hit? it was interesting. What was the top weight to you hit? 280, was it? 265. Is that what it was? Yeah, I knew it was uh, close. Fraser hit 380. She hit 265. Yeah. Yeah. 275 was in there for sure. Yeah. Oh, she I was think, moving well. I yeah. personally think Barnhart had more in her. She just pulled funky on those last reps. I heard that that was two PRs for so that was like, so I, I'm guessing that meant, meant that like 250 was her previous PR and she hit 255. and then She looked extremely happy when she hit 250. Yeah, I think, I think that was pretty impressive. And there's more in the tank for both of them, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, and that's crazy because we're Saturday night. You I mean three days deep into the CrossFit games. They did They're marry tired. last night. They, there, was, there, was some, there was some electricity in there the other night. I'm pretty sure, Jay, you might have been able to deadlift that lady's first bar, <laughs> even with the electricity tonight. Maybe. Who, what, wait, wait. There's I don't want no Anison. Way. How do you say Anison and Matt in our, in our groups? I don't want them laughing and on reposting on those jokes yeah. that Todd is making. That, the reality of it is, is Jay would not have made it on the first bar. What was the first bar? 205? 215. I would have hit that. No, we did no. it in the gym. We did it, in the, I was we doing did it, it the other day. You missed it. I hit, no, though. You hit 205. No, I hit 210. And that was a five rep. Front squat, not five Off rep the clean, clean. though. I could have, mm. listeners, look. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> no chance. I definitely, we did a workout at Southside. Remember, we were clean like 235 that time. We? we you might not have been doing. You might have been like. <laughs> in what world did you clean two thirty five? No, we. Did, I remember that. I know I've hit more in the. Uh, All I know is I've seen one hundred eighty five pounds throw you backwards, <laughs> spit you out. Spit you you spit out. out. Okay, how about this? How about this? I'm gonna I'm gonna take one for the team here. First of all, I do want to say you can go into the open. The year we hit the clean after the Metcon, I think I got two sixty one. If you so, guys want to go, a lifetime PR. You should go to the open leaderboard, no, and don't you should do it, you should make a custom leaderboard between Jay and I since two thousand eleven, and just kind of see what how it shakes out. Todd hasn't been drug tested in a long time. <laughs> no, I'm gonna let Todd wrap it up, and I'm gonna take one for the team because I believe it's a very funny story, and then we'll wrap up this episode, Todd. Tell the story of what you were just referring to. So Todd said I got thrown back on the 185. There's a story behind it. I'm going to let Todd wrap up this episode with that story because it's amusing. <laughs> it is. You really had to be there like most stories. I'm sure I won't do it justice. I'll chime in and add some But anyway, context. so there's a, there's a workout on CrossFit.com that comes up, and it's 21.59 of front squats at 185 pounds. And weighted GHD sit-ups. That's 40 pounds over Jay's body weight, for the record. A little more than that, but yeah. Yeah. So anyways, we start talking about doing the workout on a Sunday. We talk about the stimulus of the workout, which we all agree and believe to be unbroken on the front squats, unbroken on the GHD sit-ups. And so we, in order to hit the stimulus, we start talking about how we're going to appropriately scale that workout. And Jay says he doesn't need to scale the workout and that he is an RX athlete and he can do every workout as prescribed. That, you embellished a little right I now. did not embellish. And I believe so Todd. He, he decides. Todd. And, and so we're at dinner the night before and he's like, no, no, 21 at 185 yeah, this, is not a problem. We, I can do that. I will do that workout unbroken. We were with 
Haydock and I forget. Katie, maybe. Yeah, me and Katie, you're right. It was. And then this conversation started at dinner because a lot of times, like, hey, what are we going to do tomorrow? What's our workout? And we check CrossFit.com and do our best to hit that. So, yeah, the conversation started there, continued in the morning. So we discuss it. We decide that we're going to do it. Steve and I pick our, our scaled weight, whatever that's going to be. We know we know what it was. I will save that for, this, <laughs> for the surprise ending. And we get ready to start the clock, and I go, I'm not going to touch my barbell until Jay's done with his first set because I want to see him prove to me that 185 pounds is no problem. And at this point, you've wrangled many of the participants I've, ta- I've, shared, I've shared it with as many people as I possibly could to watch the debacle that cheer, was about to go yeah. on. Cheer in quotes. You guys, you guys want to see the equivalent of a clown car? <laughs> <laughs> so three, two, one, go. The clock beeps. Jay cleans the bar up. The first two reps look pretty solid. Thank he gets you. three through five. His speed has slowed down a little bit, but he's still able to make the lift. He gets, I think, six and seven. Things are going all right. Rep number eight, he starts to lean forward, the background some, and he's struggling to stand this thing up, but I see determination <laughs> in his eye. He gets eye of the tiger. Great color commentary <laughs> happening right here. Reps nine and ten, I think his knees are nearly touching, but he's still <laughs> able to stand this thing up. I'm super impressed with your recollection of this story. Oh, my gosh. I, I couldn't stop laughing for probably 10 Which days afterwards. Which I can hear while I'm doing this <laughs> I'm dying, and I'm him cheering and him Steve on. It's, are like basically Boz, I'm, like, it's like Boz watching him do the push press. Like, I think he's going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cheering him on, but he can obviously tell that my cheers aren't for him to complete it. It's and because I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, he gets to rep, I think, number 13, and he loses his grip, and one arm shoots straight out. So he's going half Frankenstein. So one arm's <laughs> under the bar, one arm straight out. He does rep 14 like that, rep 15 like that. He gets to rep 16. Now both arms are sticking straight out. He is moving at a snail's pace on each rep. He I gets, think I probably went to the I Dream of Genie. I think you did two. Okay. One or, you did one rep with both arms straight out. Then you brought the hands over the top to get 17. Finally, on rep number 18, you collapsed. And Did I hit 17 or 18? I think you hit 17 and collapsed on 18. And at which point, I think there's tears in my eyes because I'm dying. Steve and I are absolutely crying ourselves um, and dying. And so Jay, you know, pissed off as he is, takes a step back, like takes a couple big breaths, goes over to the chalk bucket, grabs some chalk, walks back up to the bar and he goes to squat clean it and it (laughs) shoots him out of the back into the wall behind him like he was trying to clean 300 pounds and at that point the tears that I had in my eyes and the fact that I was standing laughing I now collapsed onto the floor in a full just unbelievable it was best day of your life best day of my life (laughs) so I have a couple follow-ups and we'll wrap up the episode (laughs) by the way I think it took him three sets to finish his last four cleans and then he was doing like sets of two or three the rest of the workout so So, anyways follow up number one is a statement (laughs) (laughs) 17 reps of 185 is still impressive okay neither one of you can do that in what world you can't front squat 17 for 185 You've lost I'm, your mind. You're, you're talking. You do, you do remember the th- an hour ago when we worked out downstairs <laughs> and you were dying on the dumbbells, right? That was lightweight. That's fine. Yeah. All right, <laughs> that's fine. Whatever you think. You want to believe that about yourself, hey. Fred? You could. Jason once thought he was going to make the CrossFit Games in the Masters division. As a at Masters, one point. Uh, 
close. I was Did close. Did you go to regionals? You were not close. You didn't even make the qualifier. You weren't even in the ballpark of the qualifier. 500. Anyways. 500. Yeah. 50% of the And 20. he was dead set well, it was convinced back when that it was he was going to make it. So, okay. There was Last 499 people in the division. You were 500. <laughs> no. There was like 450 was well. or 550. So, Okay, last follow-up question. You know, a lot of these people have listened to our past episodes on scaling and stimulus. Yeah. What weight did you use for that workout, I think Todd? I had to use 115 on you, that day. <laughs> end of the episode, best hour of their day. Guess, who went, on, guess who went unbroken? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Plus, up. I was coming off crying and laying on the ground <laughs> laughing. That's a, You know, it took a lot of me to finish that thing the way it was supposed to be done. Scale appropriately. So, there's yeah, there's there's... Such a thing as overscaling and underscaling. <laughs> For Both sure. of those happened that day. Yeah. yeah. So uh, if you have had done your level one probably anywhere in the southeast, it's a good chance you've seen Todd. Go to the journal. Look up those ep- episodes. Todd Okudo. I'm not even going to tell you how to spell his name. That's a, Just that's like it mo- sounds. Just yeah, like it sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will tell you there are no cues in Todd's name. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, look him up. He's got some uh, easy, you know, he's a super smart cat. Um, and a lot of you have probably seen Todd or had him at your level one or your level two. So if you got questions for us, hit us up. Um, happy to answer those for you. Whether it's about coaching drills, um, any of that stuff, Todd is an incredible resource for that. And uh, we'd be happy to hand you off for any of that information if you'd like it anything else jay that's it thanks todd for being on and making yeah, thanks, fun of bro. me <laughs> thanks guys for having me <laughs> i haven't had enough of that in the last five days One this more. is the best week of our uh, besides this in the summit like there jay gets made fun of more than any human being that i know i love it i said i said to one of you i said i can only goof off like this if i have my shit together at other times and uh so far so good we, we talk about judging and we say you cannot be looked upon as a good judge. You know, in other words, there's nothing to gain from being a good judge, but there's a lot to lose from being a bad judge. Yeah, you don't want to be a bad judge. So, a bad we, uh, luckily, the staff is here at the games crushing it, and it's been a fun games. Todd, do you have a, do you have a prediction? No, oh, I'm excited. This is... Obviously, this is closest the, it's been in four years. Yeah, closest it's been well, in four years you, on both sides. Pick, pick, male, female. I'm good, man. I'm just excited Come to see on. a show. There's 10 left. I'm excited to see all it go right, down. All right. it's Sunday's going to be interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, so, and especially with the new format, with the point spread, is like a lot of shakeups can oh, happen. Yeah. Like, what did Matt make up? 50 points today or 40 points? Something like up, that? He made He was down by 55. He made up 50 today. Yeah. Something in, like that. That's in one in one event. Right. I mean, really, so anyone can on, still win. Yeah, depending on how many events there are tomorrow. Maybe that's a little bit broad, but depending well, there depends on could. how many scored events. Could, you never yeah. know. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to party tomorrow night when it's all said and done. Oh yeah, he's gonna have he's gonna have a protein. He's gonna have a seltzer water. <laughs> protein cooking a seltzer water, he's gonna be a bed at four thirty PM. <laughs> no, I gotta, Just like he's yeah. been the last Listen, if you're six looking years, for a good time. Jay's not your guy. No. <laughs> Unless you like making fun of him, that's pretty good. But yeah, he's Brad, gonna go to bed Brad who's on the last episode, that's your guy. That's yeah, in body Brad, that's your guy. In Jay's not your guy. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap up this episode so I can go to bed, have my protein cookie. Todd, thanks for being on. Thanks, bro. Thanks, guys. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. And just so you guys know, it is bonus week. We're going to be bringing you an episode every day, Monday through Friday this week, and we've got some great, great interviews and episodes coming your way. Check out besthouroftheirday.com 
If you haven't already, and you can find us on social media at best hour of their day or email us best hour of their day at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.